G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. If you think about it, Jonah's quite a piece of work. I mean, the big fish swallows him. He cries to God, God saves him. And he says, you are my salvation, God. And I know you sent this storm to save me. Then another storm comes and he says, God, kill me, kill me dead. Jonah is angry with God. Up and down, are we any different? Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. We've just begun a new series, For God So Loved. That's a little play on words there. It's for, F-O-U-R, because this series is looking at all six books in the Bible that have only four chapters. Ruth, Philippians, Malachi, Colossians, 2 Timothy, and today Pastor Jeff is finishing his message from Jonah. Within the four chapters of these books, there's great words of encouragement and some challenges for us. So let's join Pastor Jeff now as he finishes this message from Jonah. life, when we get to chapter four, is not going the way he expects. In his mind, God is not acting the way he's supposed to act. God is not running the universe the way God should run the universe. In fact, in his mind, God is acting opposite to Jonah's understanding, so much so his world, Jonah's world, has been rocked and he wants to die. Look at verse three. Now, Lord, Take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Please stay with me. Crucial. There are many people, when they discover that the God they've been worshiping all their lives, the one they've created in their own image, or the one some leader has created for them in their own image, when they understand, when they come to an understanding later in life that this is not the real God, there's only one of two options change your view and worldview and understanding of God or commit spiritual suicide. I actually have a younger brother who did exactly that. He got caught up in his mid-20s in a church that told him that if you become a Christian, you will never be sick again. You will never have any troubles and you're going to be rich and you'll begin to see demons. So those four things, and as I said before, my brother thought that there were demons in everything. He would go out in the morning, lay his hands on his car and cast out the demons so that it would start. And of course, you've heard me say, look, brother, it has nothing to do with demons. This is a Ford. That's what Fords do. They just don't work. (laughs) And so here's my brother who has this view of God. I'll never get sick, but he does get sick. I'm going to get rich, but I'm not rich. And I'm seeing demonic forces. He always quotes the passage out of Luke, no weapon formed against me shall prevail. And he says that my pastor has told me that I'll never have trouble in this life if I do everything right. 
Well, as he lives his life, trouble keeps coming. So what do you do? You either change your worldview or you check out of spiritual things completely. And for a lot of people, that's what they decide to do. Jonah's view of God has been shaken to its core. He wants to die. He wants to commit spiritual suicide. He says, God, you're giving grace to the Ninevites. You gotta be kidding me. Just kill me, kill me now. And what you notice is God is being so patient with Jonah, even though Jonah's not being patient with anyone else. So God stops and he asks Jonah a simple question in hopes that Jonah will open up within his own assumptions and change his view of God. And in Jonah 4.4, God says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? God is wanting Jonah to admit something about himself. That if Jonah is angry because God is forgiving the Ninevites, then why isn't Jonah angry when God is forgiving him or the Israelites? God is asking Jonah, why should I not forgive someone who repents? Do you think you're better than they are? They're worse than you? Jonah, are some sins too great to be forgiven? Have you earned, Jonah, anything that you received? Hasn't it been given to you as a gift of grace? Should I give Nineveh what they deserve? Should I give Israel what they deserve? Should I give you what you deserve? There's something about the Christian life. Somewhere along the way, we start to get this sense of entitlement that because we've done certain things in the right way, that not only should God bless us, but there should never be any trouble in our lives. There's a part of us that wants to say, God, come on, man, are you on vacation? Don't you see what's happening down here to me? I know that Jesus said in this world, you'll have trouble, but can't you limit some of the trouble just a little bit? And I've often wondered if while all of us want to write a book entitled Questions I'd Like to Ask God, if God is up in heaven saying, oh yeah, well, I've got my own book, Questions I'd Like to Ask You, or if God's from the South, questions I'd like to ask all you all. What, if anything, are you really entitled to? And why? Is your life about you or is it about me? Do you really think that you know better than me how your life should be going? Don't you really believe that I can bring immeasurably more, considerably more, out of all these situations, more than you would ever ask or imagine, out of the most hellish situation? Why do you give me what you desire rather than what I desire? Why must I give you a reason for everything that I do? I've given you my son and grace and mercy and eternal life. Is that not enough? I wonder what God would ask us. And what happens next is classic. Jonah goes east of the city. That's not just a random detail. Israel is located on the Mediterranean Sea or just west of the waters. So that means all of Israel's enemies lay to the east. So the east represents in the story of Jonah, it represents the enemies of God and of God's people. So Adam and Eve are kicked out and they go east of Eden. When Cain kills Abel, he leaves and goes east to the land of Nod. Now Jonah is leaving God in anger and he goes east, the place of God's enemies. He's angry with God. If you think about it, Jonah's quite a piece of work. I mean, the big fish swallows him. 
He cries to God, God saves him, and he says, you are my salvation, God, and I know you sent this storm to save me. Then another storm comes, and he says, God, kill me, kill me dead. Up and down, are we any different? As long as we're healthy, as long as our family's operating the way it should, as long as we're doing okay financially, as long as things are going our way, as long as God responds to me in the circumstances the way I think he ought to, Jonah is angry with God. And so he sits in the place of God's enemies. Think about that. Remember how we talked about in the Old Testament, you communicate not so much by the written word or by page, you communicate by an illustration, a life visual. So when you make contracts, you don't sign papers or shake hands, you act out what will happen to the other party if they violate the contract. So here, Jonah is acting out what is in his heart. He goes to the east and he sits as an enemy of God. And the Bible tells us that anytime you go east of God, anytime you sit in the place of an enemy of God, it's not good for you. So Jonah is now hot in the boiling sun. He's angry with God. He can't believe that God relented. Jonah is steaming on the inside and on the outside. And what does God do? Stay with me. This is a great narrative. God sends a shade. He causes a vine to grow up over Jonah's head. Now, this is beautiful. It, shade is a powerful, powerful image. It's a narrative. It's a story. Because remember, these are desert living people. Psalm 121, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Psalm 17, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who are out to destroy me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. So shade is a metaphor. It means that you are under God's divine and omnipotent omnipotent protection. So the question is, why did God send shade to Jonah? Verse six, then the Lord provided a leafy plant, made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. The original text to ease his discomfort is actually a Hebrew phrase that means to deliver one from evil. So something negative is happening God sends shade, and the Bible says suddenly Jonah's very happy about the plant. In fact, it says he rejoiced with great joy. Something seems out of place here. Jonah is so sad and so angry, he wants to die, and all it takes is a little bit of shade, and suddenly he's rejoicing. Why? Because Jonah knows that shade is an, in, is a, is a, an imagery of salvation. Salvation from your enemies. So when this happens, in Jonah's mind, when the plant goes up, it means Nineveh's going down because he sees the Ninevites as his enemies. And he's absolutely thrilled. He's rejoicing. The Bible actually says he goes outside the city to see what's gonna happen to Nineveh. He should know what's gonna happen to Nineveh because God has told him, if they repent, I'm gonna spare the city. They did repent, but he's still hoping that God will not save the city, but will destroy it. So when Jonah's at the very bottom of his life in the belly of the great fish, God gave him grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And now Jonah's offended by grace when he goes to somebody else. Now here's the climactic point, and this is the end. What is all this about? God has more difficulty saving Jonah than he does saving Nineveh. That's the amazing thing. As it turns out, the book of Jonah is not about the evil Ninevites, it's about the evil in Jonah's heart. And what is the evil? In the past, we have said the evil is that Jonah thinks he's better than somebody. And that is true. 
In the past, we've said that Jonah doesn't have a heart for people who are far from God in order to bring them near. There's truth in that. But the overall theme, I am convinced after years of looking at Jonah chapter four, the real problem with Jonah is this. He thinks he knows better than God how God should be running the universe. That's it. How God should be running my life. That's the ultimate, ultimate offense that we think we should be on the throne. We think we would do a better job than God when it concerns what God allows to happen in the universe, what he causes in the universe, what he deters in the universe, we should be on the throne of God. So that the book of Jonah introduces us to two problems. One, what am I gonna do about Nineveh? But the bigger problem is, what am I gonna do about Jonah? Now take that and put it here as we give the application and let it come home. A few months ago, actually it was February of 2022, I was asked to go and give the address at the prayer breakfast in Iowa. And so you've got all these government leaders coming together in this big banquet hall, and I'm supposed to deliver an address dealing with why America is in the condition that it's in. The night before I'm deliver, to deliver the address, we meet at the governor's mansion. So it's suit and tie, everybody gets dressed up. It's the hoo-hoo of power and politics. I look over to my friend, Clive Rahuri, and I say, look, I know we're going to this, but how are we supposed to act? I'm not sure I've been to a meeting like this before. And that's when he told me, he said, hey, it doesn't really matter. You're the guest of honor. What? Yeah, you are the guest of honor. So I'm sure they've got a plan and just go with the flow. So we got there in our tie and jacket. I was a little uncomfortable. And suddenly all these senators and governors start coming up and talk to me. So Senator Grassley, who's I think 88 years old, who served on the, in the Senate for I don't know how many years, in, engages in a conversation. Then Governor Kim Reynolds comes up. I find out she's a committed Christ follower. We have a conversation. And I meet all of these heads of state, these leaders. And then suddenly around the room, I realized there is a large group, a contingency of young men and women and that's where the power really is. They're the PAs of the people in high positions. They have no standing, yet incredible significance because they represent the highest offices of the land. In and of themselves, they have no standing, no authority or position. However, they have all the authority, all the standing and all the position because of who they represent. They're the ones that people meet with. You can never get to the leaders, you get to their assistants. And they're on call 24-7 to do and to act on behalf of the governors or the senators. And best of all, as I moved around the room and began to engage them in conversation, they began to tell me how all of their life experiences, both good and bad, had prepared them for these jobs. And that this job in itself is preparation for a higher calling because they hope one day they'll be governor, they'll be a senator. Now, can I show you something? The Ninevites worshiped Nashe and Dagon. Nashe and Dagon are the fish gods. You think about what God did here. All of this that happened to Jonah, even though a lot of it was his own doing, was still all part of the plan of God. Because don't you think that before Jonah got to Nineveh, they had already heard of what happened to Jonah, that he went into the belly of a big fish and lived to talk about it. When you worship fish, when you worship the gods, Nashe and Dagon, the fish gods, imagine the story 
and what it would have meant to the Ninevites. They would have been shamed when they heard the name Jonah. That dude went into the belly of the beast and lived to talk about it. Jonah is a conqueror of the water gods. <laughs> they tried to swallow him up, but God's, or Jonah's God rather, caused them to upchuck. He has defeated the strongest of our gods. We must listen to him. He has gone into the belly of the fish and now he's here to speak to us. Don't you see? We're like those PAs. We work for the king. We have standing with the king. We're on call 24-7. Our life has ultimate meaning. We have authority of the greatest king in the land. His hand is constantly upon us. And everything that happens to us is for his glory to prepare us for greater things to come. That's why your faith and trust in him must not be contingent on anything. God may require you to be swallowed by a big fish so that you can haul in the rest of them. This is what Jonah 4 is about. Another reminder of something we should have learned a long time ago. That God's hand has been on every event of your life. Even when you disobeyed him and suffered the consequences, God's still there. You know that, right? Even when you're trying to live in a distant land, even when you go against God, he's right there working on you, preparing you for what one day will be the greatest haul of your life. Can I ask you to look at your life one more time? Do you give God all the glory for your brokenness or do you give him all the blame? Do you give him all the glory or all the blame? Jonah ends up in the belly of the big fish of his own doing and yet still glorifies God because God prepared a way for him to be used in a way that would change people for eternity. Most people can't fathom that somehow God is involved in our brokenness, that God is involved in even the mistakes or sins that we commit. I'm not saying that God makes you commit sins, but God is able to work everything together for good, even the evil in our own hearts. And that's why the greatest example of our relationship with God is the potter and the clay. Remember, think about that. He puts you on the wheel and he's molding and shaping. And sometimes when you get bent out all of shape and you're just not cooperating and you just continue to make bad decision after bad decision, he doesn't throw the clay away. He takes it off the wheel and smashes it hard onto the ground and starts again. But he doesn't give up on us. Numerous times we've asked the question, when was Christ most centered in the will of the Father? And when he was hanging on the cross. It wasn't of his own doing. And God could have spared him. But had he spared him, you and I would be lost for eternity. Sometimes if he spares us, somebody else will be lost for eternity. And we're not the smart enough to figure it all out because he's infinite and we're finite. Let the infinite take care of the finite. Put your trust in God. And man, did God recover from the cross salvation, redemption and, eternal, redemption, and eternal life. Jesus went into the belly of the ultimate beast and was spewed out onto the earth on the third day so that you and I may defeat our greatest enemy, death. Where is your sting? And if we've defeated the greatest enemy, isn't it right that God used us while we're here so that others may know there is an enemy that can be defeated? And sometimes the clearest communication we give people that there is life to come and the life that is to come is far greater than the former. Sometimes the greatest way of communicating is the peace that we have when our lives is falling apart, when our lives are falling apart. 
So when the big fish swallows you, pray for God's mercy and wait because the greatest upchuck of your life is coming and something glorious is going to be born out of your darkness. You think that big fish was random? I don't think so. You know, I have this photo. It's in my mind. It's not yet taken. I hope to take the photo at Christmas time when my daughter, who's in Kazakhstan, is home and my in-laws are visiting. I have this dream photo that I want to take and I want to put it on the mantle of our home. And it's a photo of my father-in-law and his beautiful wife, Robin and me and Delaney, my son, and Jess, his wife, and little Ada, and Owen, and by then there's gonna be a third, we don't know the name yet, and my daughter, Sion, that we're all in this photo together, and on the bottom, as we take it, I wanna write the inscription, to the ends of the earth. Because I want to see that God, through three, four generations, has been using a family to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It started with my father-in-law, and now with me, and now with my son and my daughter, and then with their kids. And I know I want to look at that every morning, and I want to sit on my couch, and I want to pray this prayer. God, please protect, put a, the old Christian cliche, put a hedge of protection around these people that I love and use them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And suddenly it dawned on me when I had this vision in my mind that those things are mutually exclusive. If you want God to use a family and to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to ask God that they would not suffer in any way is not possible. Through suffering, through trial, through tragedy, you are prepared. You are prepared. In being swallowed by the big fish, you are prepared to haul in the rest of them. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercies who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. The real issue of Jonah 4 is that Jonah thinks he knows better than God how the universe should be running. Whatever you're facing, whatever it is, it has infinite purpose. It has infinite meaning. And I don't mean to belittle in any way the tragedy that comes across our path in life's journey. I only hope to open our eyes to the reality that this infinite God can connect all the dots and take the worst of tragedies and build into us a spiritual staying power, a hupomone, an endurance that will allow us to be used for infinite grace and infinite glory and ultimately to change and transform people from the inside out so that they can experience eternity with God. Embrace the rains, for it's the rains that often bring the, the deepest, most penetrating growth into your life. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Jonah 4. Open our eyes to your truth and the reality that you are always at work in us, that we are not large and in charge, you are. That even though when you act in a way that we can't comprehend, it's because you're infinite and we're finite. That just because things happen in our life that we cannot understand, those things do not change the things that we do understand. There is a creator. Life has meaning. It is sacred, which is why when tragedy strikes, we are wounded. 
We are not the result of an atheistic evolution model, but we are the result, we are the example, we are the handiwork of a creator who has fashioned and shaped this world for his glory, who will also fashion and shape our lives for the same glory. Then in the midst of our chaos, beauty and pattern and design will emerge. I pray in Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 